did Jesus die on the cross or did he survive? This is an idea which is completely contrary to mainstream Christian doctrines, the idea that he survived, but we're going to be considering that as an alternative hypothesis. And if true, it has hugely damaging consequences for modern mainstream Christian doctrines, although we will talk about how the fact that that seems to go in line with what Jesus himself said. Mm. So that's our topic for discussion today. We're going to be doing that in the context of intelligent design. ID, as it's called, is a very important movement, which has um, an intellectual movement in the West, which has highlighted that you can uh, infer design from the structures in nature. You can look at the DNA and infer that it must have been designed. You can look at physical structures and say, this was clearly designed by a designer who has set things up in a particular way for a particular purpose. Mm. And we've often, you know, we, well, we've interviewed some of the luminaries of the ID movement. We've enjoyed their work hugely and continue to do so and think, in my opinion, they produce some of the best work, intellectual work in the West, bar none, basically. Intellectual work in the world currently, I would in, say. In the world, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fantastic stuff. Um, but, you know, we've talked about before how if you apply some of those principles to the crucifixion story, you come out with a very different interpretation to what St. Paul and modern Christians think. Yeah. But actually, this does seem to be very much in line with what Jesus himself said. So we're going to be exploring that topic. And to explore this topic with us, we have... Uh, Demir Rafi. He is the editor of the Rational Religion um, blog on our website, rationalreligion.co.uk, and developed this and, and wrote a fantastic article on it called The Intelligent Design of Jesus's Crucifixion Survival. Demir, peace be upon you. Welcome to the show again. Thank you for having me. So why don't you tell us a bit about the article, uh, a bit more about why you wrote it and uh, how it kind of opens. So it's been Christians that have, in the modern time, they've advanced science quite a lot. But it's it's quite striking that their personal um, religious beliefs often don't align with the same rationality and reason um, as they kind of take to their labs and how they apply modern scientific um, hypotheses and theories and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, this article was looking at the um, the main event, really the pivotal event in Christian history, and one mm-hmm. could say one of the most pivotal events in human history, which is um, the crucifixion of Jesus, peace be upon him. Mm-hmm. Um, and Christians believe that he died on the cross and then three days later came back to life mm-hmm. um, and then physically ascended to heaven. Yeah, And I think that's actually one of the reasons why lots of um, people in the West are put off, I don't know what you think, but they're, they're put off science, be- uh, put off religion rather, mm. because they see it as irrational and they see look this can't happen in real life now well a person so, come back to life person come back to life yeah. yeah so how is it that we should be expected to believe in that not just as a you know fringe belief but as the most central belief in our uh, worldview i mean i guess christians will say well it's possible because jesus is god and therefore mm. he as god died and came back to life but that itself is not really a solution which is accepted because that raises many more questions than it answers how is how is jesus god how how does the god father son holy spirit trinity in one work so. how does god die how does god die yeah. <laughs> while his creation yeah. lives yeah yeah and yeah. if god dies while his creation lives then on what basis could one say that the creation is dependent upon the creator yeah yeah, uh, yeah. lots of yeah. questions in there and if it is not it is dependent and it still continued to exist and that means god didn't die in which case what was the sacrifice there's lots of mutual yeah. inherent contradictions to it yeah. sorry yeah and the, you know the explanation is more contradictory than the actual thing itself and so yeah it becomes yeah. very contradictory um, and so this is exploring the question, look, let's use the intelligent design movements, um, the way that they use science, the way that they um, formulate scientific beliefs and hypotheses and test them. Yeah. And let's use that same method to investigate Jesus' survival. 
or okay. death and see what happened. Okay, so what is um, that method of reasoning? What is the... I mean, it's not something which is unique to ID, but they use it as, you know, because they use it yeah. because mainstream science uses it, right? Yes. So the, the method is called, it's called abduction or it's called inference to the best explanation. Yeah. And I guess the, the concept of it is, look, when you're looking at an event that happened back in time, yeah. you can't test it out in the lab with test tubes. You have to basically, you can't, you know, see it happening because it happened in the past. Mm. So what you have to do is look at all of the information, both the central pieces and the circumstantial pieces, put everything together and come up with the best explanation, which you can infer from all of the available evidence at the time. Okay. And that's how Darwin, you know, when he was uh, thinking about evolution and yeah. other evolutionary kind of scientists, that's yeah. how they, you know, used, they used abduction in order to, to come up with their beliefs themselves. Mm -hmm. And Stephen Meyer, who's one of the proponents um, of intelligent design, mm -hmm. um, came up with an analogy and he said, look, if you have a car in your backyard that um, you wake up in the morning and it's wet, there's numerous explanations for how it could have been wet. It could have been raining or... You know, it could have been a sprinkler or mm -hmm. someone could have been washing the car. And it's about piecing together the information. So he then says, well, look, if there's some bucket and soap of water yeah. and, you know, the driveway is not wet yeah. or the road's not wet, then you think, well, it's probably, you know, it's either that there was rain just on that concentrated area of car or it's that someone was washing the car, which is the most likely thing. Hmm. So that becomes the best explanation because yes. it, uh, well, what makes something the best explanation in this kind of framework? I guess it explains all of the available information in one coherent theory. Yeah, so I guess, yeah, that that's... From known causes, I suppose. Is yeah, key and thing, causes yeah. also, they often say, you know, causes still in operation. Still so in operation. You that... can't infer, like, a magical law that used to exist and a doesn't exist. A one-off thing is seen as a, uh, yeah. something. Yeah. Something that, which, I mean, you could say is a bit of a, a weakness of the... What's it called in, like, a, in, in script writing, it's like Ghost in the Machine, isn't Deus it? Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, yeah. 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 Ghost in the, the machine. machine. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, yeah, so so... We're saying that the best explanation are those explanations which explain the gamut of the available um, inf evidence, right? So they explain all the things that are relevant and also which don't appeal to special uh, one-off um, phenomena, which, you know, this is, we want something which we can still see is in operation. We want something which still makes sense. Mm. And we don't have to basically say something was miraculous. Yeah. Miraculous here meaning... Uh, it was a break in the ordinary law of nature, a break in the the way that things go. And I guess it's worth saying a lot of Christians will say, um, you know, this was a one-off thing and there are reasons for this, but we can analyze that. We can say, well, is it more likely that it was this completely one-off situation, which has never never been repeated before, never to be repeated, or was it something which is a bit more uh, understandable? And I guess that's where... Yeah you kind of came in looking at these two hypotheses. So the first one is that Jesus did in fact die on the cross. Mm -hmm. uh, and there is some um, some argument for that mm -hmm. um, from the Bible. So for example, um, Jesus was on the cross for a good few hours. Mm -hmm. He was you know, tortured, he was beaten, he was flogged, mm -hmm. numerous things. Um, and obviously he was, he was in a state where he looked, he looked at death's door, he looked unconscious. Yeah. Uh, and it's documented in the Bible that people, you know, said that he gave up the ghost or he died. Yeah, yeah. So you you actually wrote this in the article. So number one, the tomb was empty on Sunday morning. The crucifixion torture was brutal. The Bible says he died. He was pierced in the side. And Jesus was himself God and needed to die. And that this was the plan all along. Yeah. So, yeah. 
I wouldn't say so. that last one is 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 evidence. Jesus was himself God and needed to die as this was the plan all along. Yeah, that's I mean that, a that's a claim. That's, that's not the, evidence. That's the claim. Yeah, that's the claim. Yeah, so it's not mm-hmm. evidence. We must distinguish between claims and evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose what you're saying is this is the narrative. This is the narrative of yeah. Christians. Yeah. 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 So the other narrative or the other possible uh, explanation, mm-hmm. which was pioneered by Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, peace be upon him, who was the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, mm-hmm. um, and he wrote a book called Jesus in India, which mm-hmm. documents um, all of this. Um, but it's it's quite a profound um, idea, which is that he survived the crucifixion all along. Yeah. And I guess the reason it's profound is because it's a bit unique. Like even mainstream Muslims today don't believe that. Yeah. And um, it's possibly the only theory that mm. actually makes sense in the context of science and, you know, without without appealing to some kind of supernatural phenomenon or, you yeah. know, miracle that could not be possible today kind of thing. Yeah, well, like while, a, while also appealing to the scripture itself and what Jesus yes. himself said. So it doesn't yeah, require yeah. a break in the ordinary um in the ordinary, you know, processes of of laws the laws of 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 the universe. It doesn't doesn't require physics well, to break and doesn't require everything to kind of come tumbling down. Yeah, and a, and of reasoning and, yeah. and the way we think about things. Okay. Mm. So what is that theory? So the so survival hypothesis. The theory is the survival hypothesis and th- and what that is is that Jesus was put on the cross mm-hmm. um <laughs> and he stayed on the cross for a few hours and he was taken down from the cross which we know all happened but that he was unconscious all along and he wasn't actually dead. Yeah. Okay, um, so when he came came comes out of the sepulcher 2 days later or a day and a half later. Yeah. Um walking weakly in the shade of a gardener and then he he uh he shows his wounds to doubting thomas is actually that he's showing his body post assassination attempt while he never died not post assassination post assassination attempt yeah post assassination attempt yeah right Mm. so those are his wounds from his body that survived the ordeal exactly yeah and and, you know one thing you bring out in the article (coughs) is that this is actually much more commonplace in the sense of there are plenty of people who are presumed dead who aren't actually dead. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this uh, we have this graphic where a man declared dead snores to life right before his autopsy. One of yeah. many countless stories in, in even the modern world about people who are assumed to be dead, but they're actually in deep coma and then they come up, they come back, come back to life. This know? was a guy who's called Gonzalez Montoya or something like that. And yeah. he... He was in a cell, in a prison cell, mm-hmm. and he was declared dead by three doctors. Mm-hmm. And just as he was going to the autopsy, he started snoring. <laughs> so it's it's kind of incredible, but it obviously it shows that even today, yeah, doctors can. Was um, he declared dead by like? Yeah, by three doctors. That's bad. <laughs> that is bad. That's really that is bad. really bad. There's actually another case which I've just come, which I just remembered. I oh, forgive me. It's the Daily Mail. Pensioner eighty three. Comes back to life ten hours after she was declared dead and claims her late father was calling me to heaven. Wow. That's that's one example. But there's I I remember reading a, an example about this, which was uh, a man he was declared dead. He was then put in his casket. Okay, and only check this out. Only as the mort- mortician was straightening his collar in the suit that he was in, that he felt with the back of his hand a pulse. Oh my god! Yeah. And then they got somebody to come along, and that guy was actually alive. And then the photo of the daily on the Daily Mail uh, interview with the chap was him sitting in his uh, lounge having a cup of tea, like two weeks later. <laughs> wow. So yeah, people can appear dead or can be close to dead death, but survive. And yet yeah. that can, you know, in this case, you know, we can talk about a bit later, you know, how that can still be miraculous in its own sense. Yeah. But yeah. for now, we're talking about basically the survival hypothesis. So it has mm. this kind of 
prima facie, this kind of on the face of it, a validity. It has a kind of sense of, okay, yeah, I could see that happening. Um, and then we have to compare, is there any other evidence that has more kind of face validity, but is there anything else which makes sense in terms of Jesus' own narrative? Yeah. Um, so can you talk to us? So about yeah, that? I think there is in the sense that before the crucifixion, Jesus, uh, peace be upon him, who was, who was a prophet of God, um, yeah. according to the Muslim belief, and obviously was a central figure in, in Christian belief, mm-hmm. um, he talked about this future event that would occur. Mm-hmm. And he talked about the fact that he would be in a, in a state of, of trial or a state of uh, a struggle. Yeah. Um, and he referred to it as the sign of Jonah. Okay. So I think you've, you may have the quote on the screen, but yeah. do you want to perhaps read it out? But what the quote essentially says is that Jesus himself said that um, the biggest sign that would be provided yeah. for the people of the time that he was a true, true man, yeah. um, a true man of God, was that he would be um, in the same state as the prophet Jonah was. So yeah. just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, yeah. so would he, Jesus, be in the heart of the earth, presumably meaning the tomb yeah. um, for that period. Yeah, I mean, I, there, are, there are at least two references in Matthew. And, and I think the, the top one is maybe the most profound because he says, a wicked, and, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So, I mean, this a somewhat contradicts other biblical narratives about him, you know, raising you know, all the dead and them coming back to life. You know, yeah, that those were surely signs if they were literal. We yeah, believe that he brought the spiritually dead back to life. Yeah, um, but this, you know, this is the major sign which he gives. The sign was the yeah. sign. I of mean, the it's Nick's, it's a, it's a, it's as I always say, it's, it's an absolute statement through use of a, a, an absolute negative with one exception. You know, yeah, it's yeah. kind of there's no stronger statement you can make. Yeah, you know. Um, no sign shall be given except. And what is the sign of Jonah? Well, I mean, the sign of Jonah is, I think everybody knows the story of Jonah, don't they? The, mm. A man, well, the prophet Jonah, he was on a boat. He was thrown into the, uh, into the, into the stormy sea. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was in a point where he was about to die. Mm-hmm. You know, the book of Jonah, for example, if you read it, he talks about, you know, it's written about how the weeds were wrapping around his legs and mm. pulling him deeper and deeper into the darkness of the sea. And then all of a sudden, a whale comes and eats him, mm. right? Swallows him. Swallows him. Mm. Oh, yeah. He swallows him. I think so he's a very large piece of plankton, perhaps. And um, the consequence of that is, is that he actually survives in the belly of the whale for three days. Mm. And then he's vomited onto shore. Yeah. And he survives and he returns to his people and they accept him. Yeah. So the sign of Jonah, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, the founder of the Ahmadiyya community, he in his book Jesus in India, he puts it so well. I mean, he says, if this is the sign of Jonah, what is it? It is the sign of survival against all odds. Yeah. If Jesus died and came back to life, how can the dead be declared similar to the living? Hmm. Right? You know, if if Jesus died and came back to life, then Jesus's sign is the exact opposite yeah. of the sign of Jonah. Yeah. So, and therefore he can't be true because he says the only sign will be the sign of Jonah. If he doesn't fulfill the sign of Jonah, yeah. which is survival against the odds when you should die, you continue to live. Yeah. If he actually dies, then he can't be true by Jesus' own words. Yes, exactly. So that's a huge issue for Christians, isn't it? Exactly. In fact, I raised this once an alpha course that I went to. <laughs> oh my God. There <laughs> <laughs> is our guy who goes to courses. <laughs> you may remember I... from the mindfulness course. <laughs> no, it's so true, I... isn't it? It's just a great little, you know, little, uh, I don't know. Insight into his character. Insight, yeah. <laughs> Quiet, unassuming, gentle, and then devastating. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it's interesting because I think Christians pay no attention to this quote at all. Mm. And so, I, I asked them, I said, you know, I kind of raised my hand during the Q&A bit. 
Yeah. Um, and I said, it was the topic was about Jesus' crucifixion. And I said, well, what about the sign of Jonah? Because he was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, but was alive. And so if Jesus had died, it would be no, it would be, there'd be no similarity between him and Jonah. Yeah. And uh, there was just silence. And then finally somebody said, we've never been asked this question before. So, and that, that was it. When, I, when really. I've raised it, it's always, oh, well, he was in the tomb for three days mm. and three nights. Mm. It's like, but that's not the sign. I mean, if I remain yeah. indoors yeah. for three days and three <laughs> nights, I have not demonstrated the sign of Jonah, have I? Yeah, that it's wasn't that. going to be his sign. It's, and also, it, I'm going to pass three night, three days and three nights in some state. That's that's, that's just normal life. Yeah, and, and and the key point here is is that actually he, he also didn't spend three days and three nights. Yeah. He, he went mm-hmm. in on the Friday afternoon. He came back on the Sunday morning. Yeah, you know, at absolute so it, best, you could say three days and two nights. At absolute best. Yeah, right. If you, that's if you're counting the Friday, as even a, though he went in as the day, day. Yeah. closed, and therefore, from a Jewish calendar perspective, the day ended. Right. So, I mean. So, I mean, uh, you can only really re- re- reconcile that by saying that, you know, jo- yeah, I guess that's the only way you can for, from the bottom quote. It could be that there, that has some inaccuracies uh, in terms of what Jesus says and the top quote is actually maybe the more accurate one mm. where he doesn't give the, the time period but just lay stress on the, the, the sign of the Jonah. But the, the sign of Jonah is the key thing between both of them, right? The sign, is, sign is, the, is survival. The not sign the is survival. Period. It's not the time period mm. and it's not resurrection from the dead. And the key thing I want to emphasize actually is this, there's actually a verse of the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah, the second chapter of the Quran, two verses, mm. which explicitly tell Muslims to apply this abductive reasoning, which is what it is. I think it's yeah. abductive reasoning, isn't it? Um, to yeah. the issue of Jesus' death and survival. Yeah. And I, I want to share it with you guys. So this is from the translation of Zafrullah Khan, chapter 2, verses uh, 73 and 74. This is addressing the Jewish nation. Okay? Mm-hmm. And God says, Call to mind also when you claim to have brought about the death of a person and then differed among yourselves concerning it, and Allah would bring to light that which you concealed. So he said, Test the crucial question by putting together other incidents relating to the affair and you will arrive at the truth. Hmm. Thus does Allah plan to preserve alive those considered dead and shows you his signs that you may understand. I mean, that's an extraordinary Hmm. verse because it's talking about the Jews putting a particular person to death and differing as to whether he was alive or dead. And God says, test the crucial question by comparing his case to others who were in a similar situation to him. Yeah. Okay. That's the way that God brings the life to dead, the dead to life. This is the true nature of, you know, and I guess the Jews have their perspective has been, you know, well, we killed him and therefore everything post-crucifixion is just fiction and made up. Yeah. But that doesn't really account for the fact that he was seen by, you know, the Bible records. I, I can't remember. Was that 500 school? people. 500 people afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. His disciples are recorded to have... Including St. Paul. Yeah, yeah. Including mm-hmm. St. Paul. And there's no real doubts that Jesus was seen was seen alive after the crucifixion. No, there isn't. So they claim that he was killed. Jesus, the the Christians claim that he died and came back to life. But actually, the fact set is that he says, "I will survive." Something happens around the crucifixion, and he continues, and then he's he's seen alive afterwards. Yeah, so, I mean, when you look at the facts simply, I always, I always make a bit of a small joke about this, which is that. The best proof that Jesus survived the crucifixion is that he survived the crucifixion. <laughs> that he didn't die. <laughs> no, because, you know, when you have to have a discussion with somebody saying, well, he died and came back to life, you know, the fact that that's in your toolkit of possible op- options. Yeah. Okay. Um, when actually, if you just apply the normal reasoning yeah. and you put, try to put somebody to death, you see them walking around three days later with the wounds from that assassination attempt. Yeah. 
and they say, no, I'm not a ghost. They eat bread and fish with you. Yeah. And they say, put your fingers in my wounds. Yeah. They're that explicit about it. You know, there's no way that you can describe that person as dead and coming back to life. The first port of call is this person survived. Yeah, Especially why would the question they, even arise? Why would the question even arise? The it, best proof that he survived is the fact that he survived. Is a kind of a quip, but it's true. Yeah. And and even if there was any doubts, if you then if you then look back and his major sign was I'm going to survive, <laughs> then it's again why does the question even arise now? And that sorry I was going to say that's not even the only thing he said that indicated his survival. Okay. So he also talked about his mission, and yeah. he said that his mission was essentially to preach to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yeah. And basically, there were twelve tribes from from the children of of Prophet Jacob, and they kind of spread out throughout yeah. um, the east. And within the... Well, the 10, the 10, the, the kingdom of Israel was spread out in the east. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And within, so within the area where Jesus spent those years um, during his kind of young, younger life, um, there were only two tribes. Mm -hmm. So there was the tribe of, I think, tribe of Judah and part of the tribe of Benjamin. Mm. And all of the other tribes were way further east. And we mm. have some quotes on the screen as well. So um, he says, yeah. Jesus says in John, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also must I bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And in Matthew, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So what do you take from that? What, you know? Well, it's quite a damning indictment on on God, God forbid, you know, right. if, if Jesus had actually died on the cross mm. and then come back to life and then gone up to heaven or something of the sort, mm. because it means that Jesus' own mission was unfulfilled mm. because he said that he's... Go, you know, his mission is to go and preach to the tribes of Israel. Hmm. And if there were only two that he preached to out of 12, yeah, one and know, a half, one and a half, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. like, you know, 10% of his mission or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, again, and the key thing is, he says, I was not sent except. Again, it's mm. that negative with an exception. Right. So that clashes with the whole uh, go to all nations thing, the Great Commission. Yeah, well, absolutely. In the Bible. absolutely. Because he's saying, in fact, I have not been sent to anybody. Yeah. Oh, except. The lost right. sheep of the house of Israel. So yeah. I mean, he's got to address all of the people of Israel. You can't miss out. What nine and a half, ten and a half? Yeah, yeah. And and also, you know, again, to that is the the famous incident where he says where he he refuses essentially to give guidance to to the woman that comes to him until he does finally out of sympathy because you know it's not meat to give the um the food onto the dogs. Yeah. Um. So you know that's a famous incident of him saying, "I have not been sent to you." But then out of pity, he does give some guidance. Yes. But clearly that was an exception to the rule and the rule he spelt out several times. Yes. Yeah. Again, yeah. with this absolute kind of negative statement. Um, so you, you're you, saying... You were going to say something. Yeah, sorry, I cut you off. Uh, no, I, can't, I don't know. I, th I think it's also, you know, this whole concept of universal savior or son of God. Yeah. Literally, all these things are also refuted just by that quote. Yeah. Because Jesus says, look, I've been sent only to a specific group of people yeah. um, to preach to. And the, the reason is that... Um, Again, and in another place, he says that, you know, I've not come to uh, abolish the Torah. I've come to fulfill it. So mm. he came as a Jew, as perhaps somebody to revive the Jewish um, tribes or the Jewish people yeah. after they'd become perhaps hard hearted and started using religion as a as a business and more materialistic in, in nature. Mm. And so he came for those people and quite clearly specified it. OK. Um, and again, that kind of indicates that he he survived and then possibly migrated. Yeah. rather than died and then ascended to heaven. So the survival hypothesis would again be supported, if you, on the assumption Jesus is true, it would be supported by the fact that he says that they're going to hear my voice and that yeah. all, the, all the tribes are going to hear him. Can I, can I just bring this back to the ID uh, hypothesis, uh, ID inference to the best sense explanation? Yeah. 
process framework okay mm. framework so now we've got the two hypotheses we've discussed at length we've obviously fallen on one side of the argument yeah. fairly strongly so what is the key thing if we're going to extract the key um id mechanism of inference to the best explanation what is it that puts the survival hypothesis above the death and resurrection hypothesis well hold on i, I mean i guess so far we've only covered pre-crucifixion information and events okay so of the pre-crucifixion stuff uh i mean we've talked about uh, that he says he's going to survive this is going to be his major sign and that um and that he says that he's other the other tribes of israel who spread through the east are going to hear his voice so given that us and christians assume that he is true yeah um it's a better explanation that he survived because he would be fulfilling his own promises. Yeah. And yeah. a prophet or a true person, whatever you call him, a true man of God would fulfill his own signs and his own promises. Yeah. So therefore the survival hypothesis is a better explanation. I think okay. is what we'd say. Okay. Now, can you move us more towards, you know, we're actually, let's say we're getting to the crucifixion event. What happens yeah. around the time of the crucifixion events? Can you tell, give us, can that, can, and that, can that shed any light on how to distinguish between the two hypotheses? I guess so. So, on the night before the crucifixion, there's the famous incident where Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, mm. and he prays with great kind of emotion. And he, I think it's at that time where he says, "Take this bitter cup of suffering away from me." Mm. So, again, if if his mission was to die and to atone for all the sins of mankind and all these kind of things, yeah. um, it would presumably be quite a happy occasion. It wouldn't be such a cause of suffering, mm. whereas it's much more uh, reasonable and again, inference to the best explanation that obviously he was quite worried. He was quite scared mm. that he was about to be put to death or crucified um, without having succeeded in his mission. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that God ultimately saved him from, from the, from the crucifixion. So that's, that's one aspect of it. Okay. And again, when he's on the cross, he says something similar. So he says, Oh God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. Um, again, thinking that, oh, I, you know, I might die at this time. And again, my mission wouldn't be fulfilled. Yeah. But obviously God didn't forsake him. Well, he because... was actually expecting probably to be saved before he got put on the cross. I mean, yes. what, what some is... mechanism. Mm. And then he's put on the cross and he's still bearing patiently. He's still mm. being steadfast. He's yeah. still like, hoping God will save him. And he gets to a point of extremists almost where he suddenly realizes, oh, I'm actually in the process of dying. I feel like I'm dying. I feel like I'm choking or suffocating. Because mm. in the Bible, I think it's written, isn't it, that he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And then he appeared to give up the ghost. Presumably yeah. he sighed loudly and then he fell unconscious. Yeah. So, I mean, what does that tell you about his uh, his frame of mind? And and do you think he, he understood what was going to happen? No, I don't think in, he in did. In his details? No, absolutely not. I, I don't think he did. I think he was simply... You know, it said, for example, that he said, um, I'll be raised from the dead. Mm. And Christians quote this a lot. But actually, if you read it carefully, the Hebrew, it actually, uh, the Greek, it says, I'll be raised from the place of the dead. Mm. Right? Which is which is a key difference, mm. actually. Um, and so this is obviously something that God had informed him of, but he had no idea how it was going to happen. Right. Right? Had absolutely no clue. And that's how God works. Because at the end of the day, you know, God... That's what, in fact, makes it an extraordinary event, that the person who actually went through it yeah. was himself, had no no hand in saving himself. Yeah. And that was one of the great things about, I think, one of the great honorable things about Jesus' entire crucifixion ordeal is he goes through the courts, he stays silent, pretty much. He doesn't say anything, except when 
people make specific accusations against him yeah. uh, of, of in relation to his claims. Does he reply to them? But in general, it says that he stayed silent throughout all of his things because he, was, he wasn't depending on his own eloquence to defend himself. He was depending solely That's on so God. True. He had complete faith in God. He had complete yeah. faith in God. God has told me I will be raised from the place of the dead, that this will be a sign of Jonah. He knew what the, he knew what the sign of Jonah was, yeah. for heaven's <laughs> sake. So he knew it was survival. Yeah. Which is why then the night before, he's like, well, this is the night before now. This is getting a bit close. Yeah. And then he gets whipped and beaten and then he gets put on the cross. And then right at the point where he feels like he's choking and losing consciousness, it's at that point that he expresses, I thought it would have been, I thought it would have been over by now. Yeah. And there's that, that you know. I, I, As in, I thought God would have saved me by now. Yeah. And then there must be that fear that, you know, God don't, don't, you know, you have sent me. So don't make circumstances which cause no, me to look like a No, I don't think like that's what his fear was. I think his fear, why he said Eli Eli Lama Sabakdani, he was afraid he's not afraid of death. He's a prophet of God. Mm. He has no fear of death. Mm. The only thing he fears is God's displeasure. Mm. And so when when he feels that life that he's choking, he's losing consciousness, his fear is, what did I do wrong? Did I do something to displease God? Similar to Jonah. Exactly mm. the same as Jonah. Mm. Exactly the same as Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the whale. The Quran, what does it teach us? It tells us it says you know, la ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-zalimin. Holy art thou, indeed I have been of the wrongdoers. So it's a point of repentance, isn't mm. it? So I think that that's, pro- I think that that's what was going through Jesus' mind when he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that have I displeased you, O God, mm. that you have not yet saved me and that you're permitting me to die in my mission to die? I mean, even if one doesn't, you know, accept maybe our specific interpretations of it, you know, at the end of the day, this is not a man who thinks that everything's going to plan. <laughs> <laughs> he's praying all night in the Garden of Gethsemane, as you said. He's, you know, you know, rebuking his disciples, telling them to get up, keep praying. Yeah, you know. three times. Yeah, and I then think, and then know. he's um, he's saying this on the on the cross. So so then what happens? Well, the other interesting thing was that even his disciples, it was quite obvious they didn't know what was going to happen either. Yeah. So there was the incident with Peter where he denied Jesus. Mm. Um, this is according to the, the, the Bible. And um, other instances where many of his disciples fled at the time of the crucifixion. Yeah. So again, they were... it says ex- they all fled. They all fled, yeah. And I guess that tells us two things. Firstly, that there was almost nobody there, so they couldn't really know for sure that he was dead. Mm. And secondly, that... Again, if it was some kind of great event that he would die and come back to life, then they would have a bit more resilience about them and they would have kind of stayed there and been... Said, okay, he's dead. It's okay, guys. Yeah. He told yep. us this would happen. Yep, that's, yep, <laughs> that's, 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 that's exactly how it happened. Now we're going to wait for the coming back to life. Okay? Yeah. 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 Hmm. So again, I think that that also gives us the indication that perhaps things weren't going to plan mm-hmm. um, in their eyes and they were worried that Jesus would die at that point. Okay. So it was the time of the Sabbath mm. and the Friday evening was starting. Yes. And um, because of that, both Jesus and the two thieves next to him had to be taken down from the cross because it was their custom that they mm. wouldn't keep people on the cross during the Sabbath period, mm. uh, which actually meant that he was only on the cross for a few hours. I yeah. think it perhaps two or three I or four three hours. Six at most. Because the sun was darkened, it says that actually the Sabbath, they feared it would start. And that, mm. that, that sun going in, the clouds, would be the beginning of the Sabbath, even though it was four hours earlier or so. Yeah. 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 Okay, so he's only up there for a few hours. Yes. Okay. And crucifixion is not something typically that actually kills people within a few hours. It's meant to be a prolonged death. I think the ultimate cause of death is meant to be starvation. After like 24, 48 hours, 
And there are accounts through historians like Josephus Hmm. who talk about people being crucified for a really long period of time and then dying after a lot of hours. Yeah, can I just read that out? So he says, uh, this is the life life of Josephus Flavius, who's the famous historian, one of the famous historians of that era, who's a Pharisee himself, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, Sadducee. He's a Jewish priest. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I saw many captives crucified and remembered three of them as my former acquaintance. I was very sorry at this in my mind and went with tears in my eyes to Titus and told him of them. So he immediately commanded them to be taken down and to have the greatest care taken of them in order to their recovery. Yet two of them died under the physician's hands while the third recovered. So he had three uh, former acquaintances who were crucified, two died, one recovered. And you're right, like, you know, starvation, you know, if you because that, that's, that's, it's exposure, torture. dehydration. Yeah, mm. probably sepsis if there's infection. They even had and, dogs and things that they would have there. So it's know. a slow cause of death. Yeah. But even then, I mean, if, if this person, you know, if people do survive, then after three to six hours, you know, young 30 year old man or so, yeah. presumably, why, why would he have died so quickly? Mm, exactly. The, the, the most objective thing is that the two, maybe you're about to say this, the two thieves who are with him. Yeah. Hadn't died. Yes. <laughs> so if the two people next to Jesus also hadn't died, just from that alone, the probability is probably Jesus didn't didn't die either. Yeah. Um, but he may have done. And so yeah. what happened was the Roman um, soldiers who saw that Jesus looked close to death or he looked dead, they um, stabbed him in the side with a spear. And again, this is in the Gospel of John, and it said that blood and water came gushing out. Do you want to talk about what that means? Well, yeah, I mean, I think just before that, getting yeah. to that, the, the, if we recall, just going through the sequence, there's the two thieves who are alive. Yeah. And they see that they're alive, and so they break their legs mm. yes. to hasten their death. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Mm. And then they come to Jesus, and it says they see that he's dead. Yeah. Because he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, he's slumped unconscious, he looks dead. Yeah. Okay? So they don't break his legs. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Mm. And then they do what you've just mentioned, right? Which I think is very important because the sequence is, oh, he's dead. We're yeah. not going to break his legs because we're not going to break somebody's legs if they're dead because yeah. he's already dead. Because the point of breaking the legs was to hasten death because I understand they couldn't maintain their own weight. You get big femoral fractures, probably right, bleed, you out. Know, bleed out into your internal circulation or you develop you know, pulmonary emboli or, you know, we're thinking about too much about the spine. <laughs> but basically, you, I think you can't support your own weight yeah. on the ledge that they provide. And so you basically... Um, die of various more you know, trauma. Okay. And then they stay pierced his side and as Demir said blood and water rushed and gushed out. Now we are all three doctors but we're psychiatrists. You're the IT doctor. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit more about what that could have been and what the significance well, of no, blood I and think, water I think rushing and gushing out? Well I think the key thing is just to ask yourself why are they doing this? This is what I was trying to get at. Yeah. They already think he's dead. That's mm. why they don't break his legs. Yeah. They then pierce his side so why are they actually stabbing him with the spear? They're actually doing it because it's a test to see if he's alive. Yeah. Okay. Because remember, they think he's dead. That's why they don't break his legs. And now they're just checking if he is dead. Yeah. And so they're doing a simple... These aren't complicated individuals. This isn't some... They compl- weren't ITU doctors. They well. weren't ITU doctors. They weren't trying to apply BIS monitoring to assess their degree <laughs> of consciousness. They're just stabbing him with a spear. They're Roman soldiers. It's dark. There's yeah. apparently a hurricane coming in. How, yeah. Wind is howling. Okay, there's a storm. There's been an earthquake. Yeah. They're probably worried about their families back home, as Mirza Ghulam Ahmed explains in the book. They yeah. want to check if he's dead to get him down or not and get this, this thing sorted. Yeah. Okay? So they just, they cut him with a spear. Yeah. Uh, and he elicits no response. Yeah. And so they're like, right, he's dead. Yeah. But the person who is documenting 
Yeah. The the actual event. The author of John. The author of John, who we can talk about at a different time. Controversial. Don't think he's a disciple. Yeah. Um. Actually, he actually says blood and water gushed out. Now, everybody knows you don't have to be a doctor to know this. Blood doesn't gush out of a dead body. Mm. Okay. Blood doesn't gush out of a dead body. In fact, you die within a very short period of time, blood clots. Really? I mean, minutes. Minutes. Yeah. Less than minutes. I even. mean, every doctor will have the experience of this. When you take it into a syringe, not into the tube, you yes. take blood into the syringe and you leave it for like two, three minutes, it clots off and you can't yeah. get it into the actual... Um, yeah, it's com- no, not even two, three minutes. It's an unheparonized syringe. Yeah. It'll be a minute. Yeah. Uh, and that blood will no longer... It will congeal. It will certainly not gush. Yeah. Gush indicates pressure. It doesn't even indicate um, lack of coagulation. Yeah. Where you cut somebody and blood flows. Yeah. Gush indicates a beating heart. Mm. Okay. It means you've struck an artery and you're gushing out. Yeah. Okay. We've struck a big vein and it's coming out quite rapidly. Right. Mm. Yeah. Because okay. you could have cut could a vein there. Yeah. And, and what about the water? Well, I mean, people, uh, I'm in two minds about this. Some people say, oh, well, it was actually they, they, um, uh, hit his pleural cavity and that's pleural fluid that's come out. Right. Uh, it's possible. Um, it's possible that... What does that mean? What's plural mean? Plural fluid is the, is the you know, it's this white grayish fluid that's around your... It's, it's actually like water actually looks like. It's around your lungs and lubricates your lungs between the two um, layers of the li- lining of the lung okay. to help facilitate expansion of the lung. There's basically a fluid there that's that that's there. And it does accumulate in when you're going through trauma. If you've been beaten the night before, you've had bone fractures and stuff. Yeah. Um, he may have accumulated pleural so effusions. accumulated fluid yeah. could have been there. Yeah, okay. and then they, they could have cut in. They could have come out and the person looking at it, documenting this, could have saying, oh, well, there's blood and there's water. There's two separate things. Right. Um, Christians try to make out that the blood and water indicates separation between plasma and hemoglobin but that's nonsense because you know you don't get separation of plasma and hemoglobin within minutes of dying right Mm. and it wouldn't gush out what about within hours i don't know about within hours but it wouldn't gush out anyway yeah it wouldn't gush out how do you gush clotted hemoglobin i mean right do you know what i mean even the plasma wouldn't gush out yeah so the point that he saw the blood and water flowed out came out rapidly that indicates either it's blood and pleural fluid, or I think it's more likely blood and water is probably just a descriptive term mm-hmm. for a person's contents of their vessels, their yeah. blood. Yeah. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Um, I mean, I mean, could it be that there's been bleeding into a, into a, into the pleural effusion or whatever it is, and then that comes out as blood? Yeah, you could have had water? hemothorax. I mean, you know, it could be all kinds of things. I personally think what is most likely, um, if going to be like hypothesizing medically speaking <laughs> i think he actually had a pneumothorax yeah i think he had a pneumothorax he'd actually and when he's cried eli eli lama sabachthani it says he gasped mm-hmm. right mm. i think he actually had a pneumothorax possibly a tension pneumothorax we don't know right because okay, we weren't there mm-hmm. but he had a pneumothorax of some sort which made him feel like he was suffocating choking he couldn't take any more air in yeah and then when actually they cut him with a spear, God arranged it yeah. in such a way that they effectively decompressed his lung. Okay, but would a Christian say, you know, if he had a pneumothorax, he'd be dead? No, people, people live with pneumothorax all the time. I mean, yeah. that's no. Yeah. So they treated him inadvertently. They treated him inadvertently. <laughs> Whatever yeah. it was, they didn't have... This is all speculative at this point. We've yeah. just been speculating for the last five yeah. minutes. You know, the key thing is, is that they thought he was dead. They didn't break his legs. They checked if he was dead. They did it through a pain test. Yeah through cutting up somebody and seeing if they respond. He didn't respond. They took him down, presuming he was dead. And the salient... But, but the salient point is that... 
the salient point of all of that is um, that there was a blood supply. It wasn't coagulated. There was blood which was seen from a distance. Yeah. You know, so clearly... Yeah, was, the guy wasn't sitting up looking at his chest with a magnifying glass. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't glass. like drops coming out. It was It was actually, you know, there was blood, blood and water coming out indicates that there is a circulation. However you interpret it. Mm. If he had been dead for even minutes, but let's say hours, you wouldn't have the description of blood from a distance coming out indicates yeah. pressure. Yeah. Okay, so that's the salient point. Exactly how, you know, what exactly was happening, whether it was therapeutic, suspect it was, as you said. Mm. Um because uh, that would just seem kind of more more in line with with uh, a divine plan. It's just more elegant, isn't it? I like <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, okay, so so he's uh, so they prod him. He still doesn't wake up. Is that possible? Do we think medically you're you're put through some pain? Yeah. Um, and you, you don't still wake up. Is that is it possible to be in that kind of coma? Yeah. Okay, tell us a little bit about that. There's nothing to say. I mean, everybody knows that. You know, people faint and they go through trauma and they are unresponsive to pain. I mean, that's completely... I wouldn't, but when they see him breathing away if he's in a coma because you still have your, your respiratory function to some degree? You know, maybe that's why, the, you know, at the end of the day, you do have your respiratory function, but the question is, was his breathing depressed? Yep. Did he have a new thorax? Did he have pleural effusions? Did he have consolidated lung? Did he have... Yeah, there's yeah. lots of reasons why you can't really, at the end of the day, when somebody's standing up there and you're a non-medical Roman soldier... 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. In the dark. Ago, in the dark... <laughs> The sun's been eclipsed. There's an earthquake. You're like, is this guy dead? <laughs> you yourself are like, oh my God, this man was special for all these things to happen at this time. Yeah. Right. Remember that mm. as well. You know, the Roman soldier said, he said he admitted or he confessed his truth right. according to the Bible when he saw all of these happenings. So mm. he himself, he may have actually seen him who was alive. Mm. And he may have said, I don't care. I don't, let's get this guy out. We, let's get him back to the cave. Let's get him he healed. Okay, but at the very least, he's he's looking to do a pain test to see if he's still alive. Correct. He may have a spiritual, he would have had a respiratory function if he was alive, but it could have been depressed. And as you say, you know, it wouldn't be that visible. Mm. Could, you know, very easy. Roman centurion, he's not doing a medical, he's not medically <laughs> trained. He's just... You know, I mean, three, three doctors can declare somebody dead <laughs> in modern day. I mean, I think we can say a Roman soldier... But but I labour this point because I, I don't know if you've had this experience, but Christians often go back to you know, these are Roman centurions. They knew how <laughs> yes. to certify someone was death. They knew what death looked like. But mm. I find that I, I find that implausible. I mean, you know, that mm. they would always be be hundred percent correct in this kind of situation. I mean, what is Roman centurion? It's it's an Italian kid who is roped into being <laughs> or, a soldier. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the Roman Empire is a bit. But what I mean is, it's it's a it's a it's usually a young man. They haven't gone through medical training. Yeah, they're specialising killing people. And yeah, is he dead? Poke him. He doesn't rouse. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. And probably most of the time they're right. You know. Yeah, yeah. But in this case, possibly not. And the other thing is, we're we're looking at the way that we're analysing this is actually through Jesus's quotes himself. Yeah. And where it says, because another thing Christians say is, well, it says in the Bible that he died. But that's speculation. That's not, again, through mm. objective tests. There was no stethoscopes. There was no, nothing like that. Mm. Even if there were, it might not be true. But we're actually looking at the sources of like Jesus's words themselves. Yeah. Mm. Repeated words. Repeated we're words. Not we're not looking at other people claiming things. Yes. Yeah. And that, that I think is absolutely correct. People say, oh, well, St. Paul said he was the son of God. Mm. It's like, that's a claim. That's not evidence. Yeah. That's a claim. That's part of the claim set. And there's the events and then there's the interpretation of the events. And and yeah. saying Jesus died is an interpretation which the author has put in. Yeah. But we're mm. looking at the same fact set that they present and drawing a different inference. So mm. what happens when he was taken down from the cross so he was taken down and i think at that point pontius so at some point pontius Pilate found out yeah. that he had been taken down and was actually told that oh jesus has died 
And it was either he or his wife who was like astonished that Jesus had died. He so was soon. astonished. Mm. He was astonished. Yeah, that Jesus had already died. Yeah, which he again mar- it says he marvelled that Jesus mm. had already died. Mm. Which again is indication that it's not expected after that period of time that he would already have died. Mm. Now this is the guy, not the Roman centurion. Yeah. This is the guy who knows how long it takes to yeah. crucify somebody to death because <laughs> he does it. It's <laughs> yeah. part of his yeah. job. Mm. <laughs> so Pontius Pilate then releases Jesus's body to two men. Um, Nicodemus, who was a doctor, and Joseph of Arimathea. Mm-hmm. And then what these two men did, essentially, is to apply aloes and healing ointments to the wounds of Jesus. Mm. Um, and you also have to think, why Why would they have done that? What's the point of applying these aloes and healing remedies yeah. if somebody was already dead? Yeah. Um, and also, why would a doctor really need the body you yeah, know, yeah. at that point as well? Yeah. Um, so, so they, they they take him down, and what, yeah. what where where is he put? I think he's put in the tomb at that point. Yeah, yeah. And what is the tomb? The tomb is, I don't know. It's uh, well, what is this spatially? What does it look like? I mean, people think about tomb; they think underground, six foot down, don't they? Yeah, it wasn't that. It was just like a little cave within mm. the normal land, and there was a stone that was rolled across. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, this is this is interesting. <laughs> this is probably my favorite part of the article. <laughs> Is you you reference this? Uh, this is a huge issue, isn't it? Who moved the stone? I've got it on yeah. the screen with us. Uh, you say that there's a whole book written about this. So when you when you tell us about it, there's a whole book which you know I haven't read the book, but the title is "Who Moved the Stone," and it's a common thing that Jesus, the the proponents of of uh, Christianity, raise the resurrection narrative. Yeah. yeah, and they say, well, how is it possible that Jesus could have survived because he would have had to move the stone? And the stone was like super heavy and it's not possible for one man to move the stone. So it would have to be some kind of divine thing whereby mm. he died and was ascended to heaven and came back and all these kind of things. Mm. But there's a quote in the Bible yeah. which describes how the stone was rolled across in the first place to mm. cover the tomb. And it was quite clear that just one person could do it. I don't yeah. know if you've got that quote there. I don't. I think it, it says Joseph actually did it. I think. It, yeah, it was quote. something like, oh, jo- Joseph rolled the, the stone to cover the tomb. Right. So a dude moved so, the stone. Yeah. So another person can potentially you know, yeah. move it away. Okay. I think the purpose of the stone was not to create some kind of impenetrable prison. You know, <laughs> I think it was just to stop wild animals from entering the yeah, tomb. Yeah, yeah. You know, for the. Okay, I've got it. So yeah. Matthew 27, 59 to 60. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut into the rock. Mm. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance to the tomb and went away. Okay. Joseph, so, but Joseph was a giant. <laughs> <laughs> so Little known fact. Little known fact. No, no, <laughs> taking it seriously, I mean, it's quite clear. It says that Joseph rolled, rolled the stone. Mm. So that's kind of does away with that argument, doesn't it? That Jesus couldn't yeah. have rolled the stone. Certainly, I think it would have been more difficult for him. He's just gone through an assassination attempt. He's been crucified. He's probably had broken ribs and things. Yeah. It probably wasn't a pleasant experience rolling yeah. that stone back. But he probably did it when he was physically ready. So he stayed in the tomb for a period of time. So Correct, the whole yeah. of the Friday night, Saturday, Saturday Sunday night, morning. Sunday morning. And possibly when he was not in a coma anymore, he was yeah. a bit more physically fit. Yeah. Then he only needs to move the tone to the stone a, a tiny little bit, bit, presumably to, to get in, to get out. Yeah, get right. some exactly. leverage around it and, and move yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So can I just go to the ITU doctor again? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is the plausibility of someone being in coma for one or two days and then waking up uh, and being in and then recovering to a degree of strength to move a rock? A young man. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it is plausible, but we have to know about the degree of his injuries at the mm-hmm. end of the day and what he went through. You know, if a person has had a uh, broken ribs yeah 
um, <clears throat> possibly a pneumothorax. Yeah. Um, and they're given time to heal, and that's that's those are the main injuries, for example. Yeah. So uh, so superficial flesh wounds. Yeah. Broken ribs. Yeah. Uh, and potentially a pneumothorax, which has been decompressed and then reinflated. Okay, over time. So that means lungs is basically normal now. Yeah, well, yeah. they're practically getting back to normal, even if he has a small pneumothorax there. It's you know, it's it's the yeah. the, the, the air gets absorbed, the healing occurs. I remember what they did was uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus is they actually it says in the Bible that they applied these um, healing herbs to his wounds. Mm-hmm. And the key thing is is that the Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed points out in his book is that we still have the ingredients and the recipe and the um, the ointment mm-hmm. that Jesus was that was applied to Jesus' wound. So it's been preserved in medical textbooks um, from thousands of years ago, and it appears in thousands of medieval uh, medical textbooks. Um, exactly how it has twelve ingredients. It tells you how to mix it, how to produce it, and it is a fantastic um, uh, treatment for wounds. Yeah. Okay. So it really helps and aids regeneration of wounds. Mm-hmm. It has aloes in it. It has myrrh in it. It has a bunch of different oils in it. I mean, aloe vera isn't isn't aloes that they're kind of common antiseptics, is my understanding. Yeah, they are. They are. So, I mean, if somebody applies all of these herbs and this kind of chunky ointment to somebody's wounds, yeah, um, one would hope that they do start to heal up. They they and then applies a bandage. Well, at least over they stop it. infection. You know, it stops infection, yeah. helps wound healing. Yeah, you know, I think it's perfectly reasonable. Somebody two days later yeah. after sleeping through that and recovering in a tomb you know, would be able to walk at the very least. A 30-year-old. A 30-year-old, mm. a young, fit man with no com- no previous comorbidities. Mm. Yeah, I think it's perfectly reasonable. Yeah. Okay. So but there are going to be Christian ITU doctors who are more senior to me who disagree with the potential. <laughs> but that's their... I don't, well, think, no, they, I don't think they would... How, how, they how can't can disagree they? on I mean, the basis. Well, they say it's impossible for a 30-year-old person to have... No, it's not. You know, moderate, mild to moderate trauma, uh, probably more mild in the, in the, in the totality. Yeah, of what can happen. Yeah, for yeah. over a few hours and then... Yeah, I mean, people have look, people, rest look, people days, at the end of the day, people have been th- probably seen to by his friends, probably given some, you know, probably left some water next to him, etc. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people, mm-hmm. people, people get rib fractures, superficial flesh wounds, pneumothoraces, and they they're walking around as they have them, okay, mm-hmm. and they're walking around for the next day or two after it. Yeah. So it's completely within the realms of reason that this person recovered for two days and then decided to walk out. Okay. Yeah. So Sunday morning. So he walks out of the tomb. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sees some of his disciples. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the most famous incident is that of Thomas, mm-hmm. who's known as Doubting Thomas in the Bible, mm-hmm. um, because Thomas looks at Jesus and can't believe that he's alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus said, says, I am alive, and he shows Thomas his wounds. Mm. Um, and again, this is a kind of proof that Jesus didn't die and come back to life, but survived, because he's showing Thomas, look, I had this ordeal, and here are my wounds to prove that I had this ordeal. Yeah. But I survived the ordeal. Yeah. I feel like it would have been a more compelling story if he was completely pure and pristine with no wounds at all. Yeah. You might then be inclined to believe, oh, maybe then he, you know, went up to heaven That's and God point. does some secret thing and then he comes back. Like, but the well, fact that he shows him his... To the, narrative, <laughs> the fact that he shows him his wounds kind of shows, look, I've, you know, I've survived this ordeal. The fact that Thomas is so surprised yeah. demonstrates that, again, it wasn't this plan that they knew all along um, that Jesus would mm. die and come back to life. Um, and then slowly, slowly more of his disciples start kind of figuring this out, start seeing Jesus yeah, and um, start, you know, being astonished that he's survived this ordeal. Okay. What? So we have uh, another quote here. Um, do you want to read that out? 
Yeah, sure. Some so, parts I mean, it's, uh, you know, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in their midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Oh, well, the key thing is, is that Thomas says beforehand, after other, so other disciples have seen him and they say, we have seen the Lord. Yeah. So Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And then after eight days, Jesus comes to them and says, peace to you. Assalamu alaikum. <laughs> <laughs> then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Right? Yeah. Now, how did he do that? He probably said, my Lord, my God. <laughs> you know, we don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I really like the bit in Luke, though. And I want to read to you. The, um, well, also, I would say the Hebrew, these things are the same words used for master. Correct. You know, yeah. Rabbana, Mola. Basically. Mola. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's absolutely same in Arabic. You know, yeah. people use Mola for their, for their religious leaders yeah. when it means Lord. So, um, you know, it, this is very sim- similar to in Luke. It says, now in these things, Jesus, this is Luke chapter 24, verse 36. Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. Mm. So, they, so the key question arises, what is a spirit? A spirit is the being of a person after death. By definition, yeah. yeah, it's the being of a person after death, mm. okay? And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as I, as you see I have. Mm. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and but while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, do you have any food here? So yeah. they give him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. So, I mean, it, this is... Can you comment to that? Yeah, how, how do you compare that between the death and resurrection hypothesis and the survival hypothesis? I think that it shows that firstly his disciples were absolutely astonished, yeah. um, showing that it wasn't some kind of grand plan. Yeah. Jesus says, "You know, why are you surprised?" Which probably means, "Look, you've heard me talk about the sign of Jonah. Yeah, you've heard me, dis- you know, talk about these prophecies that mm. I'm going to, you know, have this ordeal and then and then be revived from it. So mm. why are you doubting that? You're kind of, you know, doubting God in that sense, but." This is what's happened. And the fact that he then asks for food, perhaps And also, he explicitly says he asked for food because they still did not believe. Yeah, so maybe they thought, okay, he's, he's a spirit or we're hallucinating or something like that. But he's telling them, look, I'm an ordinary man and I need food just like you do. Hmm. And, you know, I've, I've had this bad situation and I'm probably still a bit dehydrated and probably still not that well. And I need some food to strengthen me up again. Hmm. Hmm. So basically he's saying, I'm, I'm the same body. Yes. But, you know, I, I'm a physical body and I need physical substance. Mm. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right as well. What you said about, you know, they were clearly shocked, which again goes to the fact that he could not have been spending the last three years before of the ministry saying, you know, at some point I'm going to die and come back to life. Yeah. Because mm. they're, they're, they're shocked that to actually see him again. They, like Jesus, probably didn't quite understand what, how the sign of Jonah was going to play out. Mm. They think he died. They're in shock. They're in confusion. And then they see him again and they can't believe it. Mm. Yeah. And then Jesus proves it to him. What a magnificent sign. But we can talk about that in a bit. But I mean, just now, it's just absolutely incredible sign. It is. Uh, of this truth. So he has proved the sign of Jonah. And yet the Christians would deny Jesus this sign. I know. That's they would the deny tragedy Jesus of this, and actually. Say, Instead, what happened was he died. He went to hell. I know. He went to hell for two, for, you know, the better part of a weekend uh, to atone for all of the <laughs> sins of humanity and then, and then came back. I mean, which isn't more in line with a, with a divine way of doing things anyway. But, 
Okay, so... Or, well, no, not just the divine way of doing things. Which, which one is more reasonable and rational? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know... Yeah, I think, even I think, on ordinary You ordinary, don't need to, you know, invoke great spiritual powers to understand this matter. <laughs> it's a simple thing. Yeah. All right, so that's the, the kind of crucifixion narrative. Those are the three days. Um, and then after the three days, he is seen by hundreds of people uh, and eventually just uh, is not seen again, right? And then we have many, many generations later, they put in that he ascended to heaven, I think, at the end of Luke. Yeah, 200 years, 250 years. Yeah, later. so, but basically it disappears and the, <laughs> the gospel ends. Okay, yeah. we could talk a bit about that in a minute. But having gone through the crucifixion events, let's see, as you did, uh, which hypothesis can explain it better. So why mm. don't you compare the two hypotheses, resurrection versus survival? Okay, so from a spiritual perspective, if we compare from what the Bible actually says, mm -hmm. the survival hypothesis explains the past prophecies that Jesus actually made. Yeah. For example, the sign of Jonah, for example, the fact that he needed to go and preach to numerous different tribes, not just the one or two that were in the area at the time. Yeah. Um, and the resurrection hypothesis doesn't address those um, prophecies. And contradicts so, them, in fact. Contradicts them. So we'd have to say that actually he got those prophecies wrong, <laughs> you know? Um. And then the next aspect is that the actual scientific aspect of it yeah. is better explained by the survival hypothesis. Yeah. Firstly, because um, dying and coming back to life is the one thing that we know is impossible. Yeah. Like nobody today would ever contemplate that happening. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and then even the objective things like the length of time he was on the cross, yeah. which was only a few hours, not enough time for somebody to die. Yeah. The fact that the thieves next to him were still alive. Yeah. The fact that Pontius Pilate was astonished that he had died so early. And that and that was possibly because of the fact that God told his wife in a dream that he yes. was actually innocent. But we're going to mm. talk about the idea of the whole thing in a moment. And the fact that um, Jesus, peace be upon him, was stabbed in the side with a spear and blood and water came gushing out, which is a sign of a beating heart. Yeah. So all of those things which are contained within the Bible, so we're not using any other scripture, we're using the New Testament itself, the Gospels. Yeah. Uh, they are best explained, those events, by the survival hypothesis right. more than the resurrection hypothesis. And the last one in the table is, is that it appeals to known causes rather than unknown causes. Hmm. So as we've discussed, there have been many instances of people having thought to be dead, yeah. actually being alive, um, and there's no instances in history of somebody being dead and coming back to life. And that's kind of the key thing that ID proponents emphasize with respect to evolution. You know, I've noticed yeah. uh, Stephen Mayer make this point time and time again, that you have to uh, explain phenomena, you have to explain observations by phenomena that are in operation currently. Mm -hmm. And that um, are, have been witnessed to um, explain those observations in other circumstances. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. he says, well, the only time you get um, a, a complex piece of machinery, like, for example, DNA, like, for example, the tRNA machinery, like, for example, the single cell organism. Yeah. Right. You only get a complex piece of machinery like that, which is akin in complexity to greater, much greater in complexity to a car or a building or anything like that. Yeah. You only see that level of complexity when it's designed by a mind. And he says that the, the observation that observation is only seen explained by uh, causes that are intelligent in nature. Yeah. So, and we still have intelligent causes because we are intelligent. Because we are intelligent, we we engineer things all the time, so yeah. we know what intelligent causes look like. Um, and so, I guess what you're saying here is that all of these facts they can they are all explained by uh, the only thing that can explain them, which is known to produce these effects. Yeah. Is yeah. the survival hypothesis? Yeah. 
you have to appeal to special causes to to unknown things to one-offs of death and resurrection mm. um which contradict and create logical in, inter inherent contradictions and disprove jesus's truth and disprove jesus's truth right and, and it's also puzzling why god would expect religious people to believe <laughs> in an event like this that's completely unknown unwitnessed yeah impossible in modern time why god would expect people to have to, to believe in that as the central tenet of their faith yeah i think it would be much more you know much more reasonable for god to say look reflect upon nature reflect upon how the universe is created upon the known causes hmm. and then base your belief on that rather than on something that's completely so utilize the faculties i've given you in a you know sound and valid way yes. rather than denying them yes so i mean a, a lot of christians will probably say you know what about this quote what about this quote with the ascension quote or um the the different things you know the great commission quotes going forth unto all nations and i guess what we'd say to that is we're not building our case of any one little snippet of one gospel. Mm. What we're saying is look at the overall narrative and look what Jesus himself said. Look, look at the repeatedly. events, not the statements even. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, that's what I mean. Look at the overall uh, events. Actions. Yeah, well, look what happened, which we all agree happened. Uh, and look at what Jesus said repeatedly, what was the, the, the thrust of his message, mm. and see which hypothesis lines up with the others. And if there are statements, the odd statement here or there, which contradicts the bulk of the narrative, mm. you exclude that odd statement as an outlier, as something which you know may have been interpolated. Maybe we've mistranslated it, maybe we've misunderstood it, because we know for a fact the Gospels were, were certainly interpolated, but it's harder to interpolate events. Yeah. It's much easier yeah. to put in narration but actually, you know, when you have all the Gospels agreeing as well as other um, extra-biblical sources that the crucifixion happened, happened in this way. Hmm. And we know that Jesus said all these things about, like you said, the, uh, the tribes of Israel thing and the sign of Jonah. You know, this narrative, the survival hypothesis makes a lot of sense. But I want to come to, I think, maybe the last part of our program, which is the intelligent design of all of it, right? Because there's one, the first part, what we'd be talking about is what does inference to the best explanation tell us, which is kind of used in the ID framework. But the essence of ID um, is uh, basically arranging elements in a certain order to achieve a certain purpose. So let's have a brief discussion about that. How did, you know, if God, and, and let's say we now accept the survival hypothesis as we do, how did God engineer this event to happen in the way that it did so that, so that Jesus would survive? What would, uh, what would you say was maybe, maybe the first thing or one of the earliest things that happened? I think it's it's a lot of what we've discussed. So I think it's a lot of the fact that he told Jesus, presumably through revelation, mm -hmm. that this big event's going to happen, mm -hmm. but it will be like the sign of Jonah. Yeah, good point. Um, and then I think it was that all of these all of these events just happened together and coincided. So Pontius Pilate's wife had a dream, yeah. um, in which she was quite disturbed by. I think, yeah. And she told Pontius Pilate, "Don't have anything to you know to do with this man, or don't condemn this man." Yeah. Um, but Pontius Pilate did because that was the consensus of the crowd at the time. Well, yeah. he didn't condemn him. No, but he he was he gave the people a choice, didn't he, of Jesus or Barabbas as the person to crucify? Well, well, he gave them a choice which he thought they can't possibly get this choice wrong. Yeah, okay. he gave yeah. them the choice between a known in today's parlance terrorist. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and a person who was peace loving man. Mm. And he thought, there's no way that they're going to mm, choose yeah. the terrorist. Mm. Yeah. And they did. <laughs> so, yeah. So God engineered it firstly by telling people like Jesus, like Pontius Pilate's wife, yeah. you know, giving them some kind of revelation. Yeah. And then also engineering all the specific events, yeah. as we've talked about. So things like potentially 
Jesus being stabbed in the side by, by the spear as a therapeutic mechanism to keep yeah. him alive. The fact that he happened to be crucified on the Friday, which meant that he had to be taken down after a few hours only. So can we can we just pause and elaborate on that? So the timing, yeah. I think, is really important. Can you yeah. maybe come in a bit more on the, on the well, timing? Well, yeah, it says he was put on the cross at the sixth hour, doesn't it? Okay. I, I think that's Possibly. what it says. Yeah. Um, and he was taken down at the ninth hour. But was the Friday the, or the... Yeah. Well, the Friday is important because this, important? there was a storm and an eclipse. Yeah. You know, so the sun was obscured and the Sabbath begins actually on a Friday night. So Pilate arranged for him to be put up on the on the day. Maybe just he did it on purpose. Sabbath. Maybe it was just how it turned out. But mm. he, he, he got him up on the Friday mm. uh, at the sixth hour, which is 12 o'clock mm -hmm. in the afternoon. And he was taken down at the ninth hour, which is three o'clock in the afternoon, from my understanding. Uh, and the reason he was taken down early was because there was a storm so that, and the sun was eclipsed. Right. And the Sabbath begins at sunset yeah. on the Friday. Yeah. So when the sun was obscured, they thought, oh, has the Sabbath actually begun early, therefore, in God's eyes? Yeah. So we just need to take him down as soon as possible. Okay. And that's what then hastened them to break the legs of the thieves, to yeah. hasten their death, as it says in the Bible. Yeah. And then to assess if Jesus is dead. And that's what you were saying then about the, uh, they, you know, do the spear and that could be therapeutic. Uh, so mm. so what, when you continue from there, if that's all right. Yeah. So then after that, God arranged it such that Jesus was then put into the hands of a doctor yeah. who then helped to alleviate his wounds, prevent infections yeah. um, and enable him to make quite a quick recovery as well. Yeah. Um, and who happened to have a new sepulcher. Yeah. 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 So I think a lot of these events were just coordinated and timed. And it, the reason we're talking about intelligent design is because, again, through just blind chance, all these things to happen, it's quite unlikely that Jesus would be saved through all these mechanisms. Yeah. Mm. And much more likely, the much more likely outcome should have been that Jesus had somehow died or not survived the actual event. Yeah. Yeah. But because of the way it was engineered and the mm. way that, that it was done, it appears like there was an intelligent mind, i.e. God, that actually engineered the whole process well, who, who would have survived. thought that a whale would swallow a person yeah you yeah know, when they're drowning in the sea it's the same kind of level of oh wow that's extraordinary yeah kind of you know feeling and this is what miracles really are aren't they they're not according to the islamic uh, understanding they're not events that are anti-scientific that it's impossible for a rational person to understand yeah but what they are is something that is a great coincidence or something that happens in a way that seems impossible but actually does happen that way yeah um, like for example, when Moses parted the Red Sea, it wasn't the fact that his his stick parted the Red Sea. It was the fact that it happened to be at that time that the tide went a certain way, and Moses and his people were allowed to go through. Yeah. And then the Pharaoh and his people happened to run through the the, the water at a time when the tide was coming back, and then they drowned. Yeah. So it's it's timing, it's coincidence, it's these kind of but, things but that make a miracle. But it's not just timing coincidence. It's, it's timing coincidence in support of the claimant. Yes. To prophethood and yeah. of God's support. So the miracle isn't the breakage of a law of nature. It's the it's implementation God using a law of nature at the mm. right time for in the right place for uh, a prophet of his in an extraordinary yeah. way that supports the religious claim yeah there's it's purposeful yes you know and purpose indicates mind yeah right so um you know i think you know what you, the way you've laid it out has been uh has been very illuminating and i think for me it's very um it's very significant because i sense uh, and I, I can't speak for any actual id advocates of the of the well-known ones i don't know but i think in general a lot of christians struggle reconciling uh, reason and their faith because the events of the crucifixion as we talked about these are unwitnessed unique events that don't quite make sense to you in terms of they they certainly contradict jesus own words 
but it's it's a, it's a unique exceptional thing um and requires you know in order to justify it you also have to believe that jesus was god and god died and came back to life etc and you have to bring trinity into it it's all very difficult to understand and yet what christians really love the reason i would i i propose the reason why many to most christians are christians it's because the moral teachings of Jesus. Mm. It's because the moral purity of Jesus, because yeah. of the way that he taught us to, to live our life. They want to keep that moral purity, but they are taught that in order to have that, they also have to accept all of these doctrines. So then they kind of accept the doctrines, often on sort of blind faith, don't think about it, just accept it in order to have this, in order to have the, the moral teachings. Yeah. But what we're, what we're saying is that you can have your moral teachings. You can have your cake and eat it too. You can have the moral teachings of Jesus and you can keep the belief in the truth of Jesus if you accept the survival hypothesis rather than the death and resurrection hypothesis. In fact, knowing what you now do about what Jesus said about what would be his major signs, it is the only way that you can keep uh, to Jesus being a true uh, man or prophet of God or whatever you, whatever you, whatever you believe in him. You know, it's the only way that he can actually be accepted as true because he had to display the sign of Jonah and he did explain, display the sign of Jonah and we can also accept his moral teachings. And especially in the West, it enables us to keep our reason and not have to believe kind of anti-rational things. So uh, it's an enormously important um, uh, illumination from the, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. We believe it was divinely revealed upon him. He wrote in that book, Jesus in India, seminal work. Uh, in which he put forward <coughs> so much evidence of this hypothesis. And there's so much we haven't talked about. Uh, uh, yeah, the key thing I think we haven't talked about is what's the consequence of this Christian doctrine? Mm. If Jesus didn't die on the cross mm. for the sins of mankind, then yeah. what does that mean? Mm. It means exactly what he himself said, that every man shall bear his own cross. Yeah. Right? That there is no atonement. Mm. That, you know, you will be judged on your merits mm. by God after death. It's not that somebody else has died for all your sins. Mm. Um, so I think that this actually is a very important um, hypothesis. Not hypothesis. I think it's you know it's 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 an open closed book when when we we he's you know when Case. it's been laid out as as excellently as it has. Yeah. Um, that in actual fact, the atonement theory of Saint Paul, yeah. which he put forward in Romans, Galatians, etc. She said it was revealed to him. In fact, which he said was revealed to him, and he claimed to be a prophet on that basis. In some sense. Um, that actually, in actual fact, it is a uh, it is a hoax. I'm afraid. Yeah. It is a, a falsehood. Yeah. Um, and that Christians should return to the original teachings of Jesus, which is ultimately one of following revealed law, mm. not of abolition of the, the Jewish law. law. The Jewish law, right? Mm -hmm. You know, or if they if they wish, you know, any other law. For example, we Muslims believe that the Islamic law has come to as a superseding of all other laws uh, yeah. from God in the sense of. Uh, religious teachings, not secular laws, not not laws of uh, the government, yeah. but moral laws yeah. and, and spiritual laws. Okay, so um, is there anything else that you wanted to, to, to No, I think there? I just want to emphasize that point at the end, that this has profound, a profound impact on the conception of God and the doctrines of Christianity. Hmm. So I want to just finish and close on one last area, uh, which we will touch on. We won't be able to, to fully do it in this uh, video, I'm afraid. But a lot of Christians will say, okay, let's say we accept the survival hypothesis. He fulfilled the sign of Jonah. He didn't die. He survived the, cru the crucifixion. He was then seen alive. Um, but then where did he go? You know, shouldn't we be seeing him? You know, what, what happened? Did he just suddenly die of a heart attack eight weeks later? What happened? Uh, how, how, do, how can we accept that Jesus survived and didn't ascend to heaven 
Unless we have some kind of alternative explanation there. Can you talk to that mm. a bit? So it's quite a big topic. But again, the theory or the the theory outlined by Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, yeah. um, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, um, again, under under divine guidance, he came, you know, revelation and God had told him um, some of these aspects, mm. which is that Jesus migrated um, post-crucifixion mm. to the other tribes of, of Israel. So he went further east yeah. to places like Afghanistan and India, and he preached to the people there mm -hmm. and actually lived quite a long life, up to 120 years old. Mm. Um, and his grave has been um, found mm. in a place called Srinagar, which is in Kashmir. Mm. Yeah. And uh, it bears the name of a person called Yuz Asaf, mm -hmm. which means, which translates as Jesus the, the shepherd. Or something along those lines, and there's historical evidence of this man who goes and preaches the same kind of parables that Jesus preached, and gave the same kind of messages and teachings. Yeah, and so the and the, was widely accepted, and was widely accepted. And so the theory is that this man Yus Asaf is the same man as Jesus, peace be upon him, himself, uh, who post migration went and fulfilled his mission, which is to preach to those people in the other tribes of Israel. And the best, the best proof of this I've come across is in Hindu scriptures. Mm, okay. In Hindu scriptures, mm. in Bahavisya Mahapurana, which is one of the Puranas, uh, thought to have been written at the end of the first century AD mm. or about that time. It recounts a king of Kashmir in the Himalayas, mm. in the mountains, walking along with his retinue and coming across a fair-skinned man who appears to be a foreigner from the West. Mm. And he says to him, tell me, what is your, what, who are you? He says, I am Isha Masih. I am Jesus the Messiah. He says, I, will, I call myself the son of God. I was born of a virgin. Mm. I was persecuted in the West. Tell me if any of this rings a bell, by the way. <laughs> I was persecuted in the West where I fled from injustice and persecution. Mm. And I've come here, mm. right? And he says, what is your religion? He says, my religion is love, truth, and purity of the heart. Okay, which is a very nice summary, I think, of Jesus' message. Yeah. And, uh, and was he traveling with anybody? And he was traveling with people, yeah. And, um, you know, even close to that area, we have another place. We have a place called, uh, a town called Murray, which is the, a town on the border between Pakistan and India, which is named after an ancient gravesite in the area, mm. which is known as the gravesite of Mother Mary, mm. right? And we have this, you know, very ridiculous, uh, it's, it's, I can't, I don't know how to describe it other than, um, to my mind, at least it's absurd, mm -hmm. is the Catholic doctrine of assumption. Right? Mm. There's the doctrine of assumption and they have the feast of the assumption mm -hmm. uh, every year, which is the date on which they assume, they assume that Jesus, that Mother Mary must have ascended to heaven with Jesus because she also disappeared about the same time. Yeah. You know, now that's, <laughs> that should tell you something. Yeah. Okay. So when we see a person appearing in the East about the same time in other religious scriptures, with the unique characteristics of Jesus, we find a tomb bearing his name. We find a tomb bearing the name of his mother. Yeah. Right. And the tomb, his tomb, is he, his own tomb that's said to be that of Jesus's, of Yusuf Saf, is buried in the Jewish way, is buried in mm. an east-west direction, not north-south as, as per Muslims. Mm. Right. It's even got a sarcophagal imprint of his feet and the marks of crucifixion on his feet. And we can link the to the tomb. video which shows that. Yeah, yeah, we can link all that. But I mean, I think it becomes a, there's a heck of a lot of evidence. Yeah. I mean, the people around there, this is a famous study is one called Among the Dervishes and other uh, Jesus lived in India, which do documents the people of that area in Kashmir call themselves Muslim Christians. Mm. And they believe that Jesus, you know, came here and, and taught there 
and that's their that's their tradition. Um, well, people will say, you know, how can it be that someone travelled to Kashmir isn't India really far? What would be your response to that? It's quite far. <laughs> 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 the classic quip of our fourth Khalifa was heaven is definitely further. Um, <laughs> you know, you have to make a choice. Is it going to be India or the seventh heaven? Where are you going to yeah. go? Um, so I... Actually, the modern researchers hypothesized that actually it wasn't that hard at all. Yeah. Because um, you could quite easily take a boat on the Silk Road. Right. And the Silk the Silk Roads were very active and you could actually travel by boat at least to India very simply. Yeah. But the Hazimur Zulam Ahmed, peace be upon him, he himself believed and he set out the evidence in his book for Jesus' travels over land right. uh, through Iran, Afghanistan, and into northern, what's now northern Pakistan and northern India. And in Muslim traditions, he's actually known as the wandering prophet, the uh, correct the, the, the traveling prophet. Yeah, and, you know, and we're not saying he went there in, in a week. But <laughs> he, he, he went there over time to gather his lost tribes. I mean, he's yeah. he's shown the great, you know, the great sign uh, of his truth, and then he continues supported by God to um to to gather his flock. And I'm just I'm almost heartbroken for the Christians because in my mind, this is the best sign yeah. of God's existence in the entire Bible. Yeah, yeah, it is. In terms of actual documentation and how reliable the events are, yeah. you know, with this interpretation, this is the best argument for God's existence. Bar none. I, I can't see anything else. Even in the Old Testament, there are obviously signs, but the reliability diminishes as we go further back in time and the yeah. contradictory nature of the of the narratives. So Christians are denying themselves one of the best arguments that they can put forth yeah. for the existence of God, and they are instead opting for a narrative that requires them to believe that Jesus is a man, but God and that he died and went to hell for two days and then came back, etc., etc. Why not accept something which is in line with Jesus' own words, which confirms his truth, which fully aligns with the um, with the Old Testament, and which unites the, the the Jews in terms of the Jewish scripture with the New Testament and illuminates our whole understanding also, of religious history. And ultimately is a fantastic proof of Jesus' truth to the Jews. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. whole point of putting Jesus on the cross was, oh, well, an accursed person is to die in the wood. Mm. You're right. And that's why G Paul said, you know, Jesus became a curse for us by his death on the cross. Yeah. So if you can say he survived, then you say, well, then he was actually from God. He was the Messiah of the Jews. Mm-hmm. All you Jews should accept Jesus. Mm-hmm. You should accept the teachings that he brought. You should accept the message that he came with. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that Jesus, Jews, Jews, Christians are wedded not to Jesus mm-hmm. in the sense that they're wedded from the doctrinal standpoint. They're wedded to St. Paul. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have an article on our website about St. Paul, which I'll link below, um, about our views on him, which is a, is an entirely different topic. Any last words? Um, no, I, th- I think it's just a very beautiful explanation, this survival hypothesis, mm. um, and it just ties together everything. And I think not only for Christians, but also for people who have left Christianity in the West because of uh, concerns about irrationality or being illogical, yeah. this hypothesis kind of can be a way back for them and can yeah. kind of make people see that look religion doesn't have to be about ascending to heaven physically or dying and coming back to life actually religion is rational yeah. and religion is something that can be believed in with your scientific mind as well mm. certainly certainly concur with rational religion <laughs> thank you very much um <laughs> anything you want to say okay well, we'll just stop it there
Peace be upon you. Thanks for watching that video. I'm Razik. I'm the editor of this channel. And uh, I hope you liked the video. And if you did, please leave a like and a comment. We love to encourage the discussion that we get under these videos. They're very interesting. And uh, if you'd like to see more of this kind of content, then please subscribe. And we'll uh, do our best to give you more of this kind of stuff. Thank you.